Welcome back to Placemaking St. Louis. My name is Sammy O'Reilly. I'll be your host today. And we are going to discuss issues of neighborhood health um, and neighborhood and residential segregation in St. Louis specifically. Um, and I'm so excited today to be joined by a guest, a representative of the Sierra Club, Ashton Keenel, um, who will assist me throughout today's episode in offering her own insights and contributions as it relates to themes of environmental racism, interactions between the community and healthcare providers, um, and what action can be taken at the grassroots and organizational level to improve neighborhood health. My name is Ashton Keenel. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. I'm currently the regional St. Louis area grassroots organizer for the Missouri Sierra Club chapter. Um, I am based here in St. Louis, which is the occupied land of the Osage, Miami, and Sioux people. Um, I wear many different roles at the Missouri Sierra Club, one of them being uh, organizing some of our coalition work around environmental injustice and environmental racism. Firstly, to break down the idea of residential segregation um, as it relates to neighborhood health, it's important to consider the historical context of St. Louis specifically. Um, St. Louis has a long history of divisional and segregated distribution of demographics and populations across the city and the county um, that create massive divides, either forcibly through redlining, uh, funding, allocating of resources, educational distributions, a multitude of factors that contribute to this residential segregation. But uh, more generally, residential segregation is the separation of groups across communities communities, uh, housing, uh, neighborhoods more generally, other residential spaces as it relates to factors of ethnicity, race, socioeconomic status, uh, nativity, uh, personal identity, a multitude of factors that again sort of separate individuals and communities. There are three theories of residential segregation. The first is residential attainment, which suggests that this segregation exists because of racial and ethnic differences in resources. Um, and this is definitely seen in um, Maria Godoy's article when she mentions the community outside of Richmond, Virginia, whose uh, distribution of funding and resources has not been um, equitable in comparison to other neighborhoods. So this distribution of resources uh, creates inadequate um, uh, access to things such as clean air, clean water, uh, safe housing, um, different factors that sort of then in turn deteriorate um, rights, justices, and health overall. Residential preferences is a second theory of residential segregation that posits that the segregation exists because individuals belonging to similar demographics or groups uh, want to live near one another. So holding that identity as it relates to one's race, one's class, one's nativity uh, encourages these individuals to actually want to live in communities together. Um, so this segregation happens uh, perhaps suggestively more as a result of the preferences of of the individual rather than institutional pressures. However, um, it is important to note that these theories do uh, often have several overlaps and work in conjunction with one another. 
The last theory of residential segregation is place stratification, um, which posits that this segregation exists because of intentional discriminatory practices on the part of either community members themselves um, or larger systemic or institutional actors or agents. Um, Place stratification is unique in its explicit description of discriminatory practices, so um, including these factors such as class, race, ethnicity as motives um, for perhaps intentional discriminatory practices that lead to this place stratification. So right here in Missouri, we use uh, coal power plants for a majority of our power and knowing that they emit a lot of SO2 and other toxins into uh, our environment, into our airways. And if you look at a map of St. Louis, you can see we have about four active coal power plants ringing the city and all that wind and all those power plants excuse me are directly to the west of us and that wind is going towards the east right into our city right into our neighborhoods so many folks are breathing in the toxins and pollutants from these coal power plants Um, but we know that's also not the only agitator of these health impacts There are two theories to explain how these natural built and social features relate to health. Um, The first is risk exposure theory, which um, Ashton provides a great deal of background around um, talking about how the high prevalence of social or environmental health risks leads to, in turn, higher risk of disease, infection, and death. Um, So if individuals are found to be living in areas with higher exposure to these uh, environmental harms, then in turn, their health will be poorer. Um, And the second theory is resource deprivation theory, um, which posits that individuals have poor health outcomes because they live in communities that are lacking um, the necessary resources to lead a healthy lifestyle. So that um, can relate to access to public transportation, adequate housing, but it can also um, relate to food security, um, access to healthy food options, uh, primary care options, um, anything that sort of puts a uh, disparity between resource access more generally. See, according to um, our report, that a lot of these instances of the issues we tracked in our report, which were, um, let me see, uh, lead poisoning, asthma, mold, air pollution, high energy costs, uh, limited access to healthy food, vacant properties, and illegal dumping, um, they all pretty much centered in the same wards. Um, in the city, and these wards are predominantly black wards, predominantly low-income wards. Um, so it's very interesting to see how that is. And we can trace that back to just our wards and parts of our city being redlined and intentionally disinvested from. So it's not surprising, mm-hmm. but the wards that are most impacted from for example, childhood lead poisoning are the first, 21st, and 4th wards in North City, which is pretty, they're all pretty much in a little circle together. And then we also have um, some pretty high rates down in South City as well, so the 20th and the 9th district. So it's, it's a widespread issue, 
but more often than not, we know that this is impacting our black, uh, brown, and people of color here in St. Louis. Now that it's more understood why there are differences or disparities or divisions um, among neighborhoods themselves in terms of their uh, composition of individuals and demographic distribution, it's important to understand how this then relates to matters of health um, and healthcare provisions. Um, So there are three sort of broader categories of understanding neighborhood health based on natural, built, and social features. So natural features, of course, would be access to green spaces, uh, fertile soil, clean air, etc. Built would be um, proximity to public transportation, housing qualities, and then social would be um, access to uh, civic engagement opportunities, uh, developing social capital, um, different features that in turn contribute to whether someone is more at risk, less at risk, um, or more at risk of not preventing um, resulting health exposures in the environment. Um, Not a very robust public transportation system here in St. Louis. Um, The fuels from it cause harm, uh, cause issues to breathe, right? We're bringing in those fumes. Um, and additionally, we have a lot of poor housing uh, issues here in the city. So we're being um, exposed to mold in our housing, uh, which definitely impacts our breathing and how we're able to uh, live in our own homes. And most of the time, folks can't get that remedied because that is on their landlord, as most folks in the city and our low-income folks and our people most impacted by environmental racism, they're renting their houses and they have these very obvious issues in their houses and they're not able to get them accurately addressed. These divisions, as both Ashton and I point out, create several harmful and cyclical disparities in resource distribution and health impacts. And these correlations are directly linked to the before mentioned matters of race and ethnicity, socioeconomic status, education levels, uh, income status, unemployment rates, and nativity. A lot more attention is being drawn to, you know, the water issues we have in our city. So our, uh, public schools especially have really old lead pipes that are just carrying large quantities of lead toxins straight into our children's water source you know so we have kids with very high averages of lead in their blood that's just incredibly dangerous to their overall overall well-being and development um and then we also have you know, a super fun site in uh, North St. Louis County where radioactive waste has been leaking into water for decades and has not been addressed. So though a lot of work has been going and we're we're in the steps to, you know, transforming Missouri and transforming St. Louis to a more environmentally just uh, place, but there's still just so many issues um, from water to air to our public lands, lots of issues to address. 
I was very curious to speak with Ashton about the role of healthcare providers specifically in exposing, advocating, um, and emphasizing the need to combat environmental injustices as it relates to neighborhood health specifically and why providers ought to be informed on neighborhood health when practicing in cities and communities at large. Working with healthcare providers is huge um, in this work because there is so much public health and so many horrible attributes that uh, impact people because of these um, systemic racist issues that are impacting our environment, right? Um, We are very thankful uh, to be in St. Louis where there's such a wonderful hub of healthcare providers. WashU, BJC, we have SLU, uh, SSM system, you know, some top-notch hospitals here. And we've been able to build community with a lot of healthcare professionals as an organization, um, folks who specialize in asthma or other respiratory issues, people who know uh, about lead issues and how that impacts children. Um, And we often rely on them uh, to give credibility to our claims that these are actually impacting people, that we actually need to address this and make change because of how dangerous it is. Also, I still think there's a long way that um, healthcare providers can go to continue to educate themselves and to um, help with these issues. Um, one big need that I know is, you know, uh, there's a large need for asthma medication and asthma uh, treatment in St. Louis schools right now. So that could be a very large way for the healthcare providers to step in and provide direct care to the kids most needing it. Because a lot of times these kids impacted by asthma don't have the resources to mitigate and treat that. Um, which is then leading to them having to go to the ER later and cause so much more, um, you know, instead of pushing it till it's the absolute worst, how can we uh, do primary care and intervene before it gets too bad? Mm-hmm. After understanding the role of healthcare providers, I was very curious to understand how Ashton perceives the role of the individual. So how can we as students, as WashU community members, St. Louis community members at large, uh, get involved with this work, get involved with these issues and ensure that um, it doesn't just end with educating ourselves, but there is resulting action that can be taken. Um, I hope that this podcast can sort of encourage people to uh, heed her advice and heed the opportunities that are right in our own backyards. We, you have to center the community in your work as we are working for and with the community, right? So um, we're really happy that while we were working on our environmental racism report, we worked closely with other community advocacy groups, environmental groups, neighborhood associations, etc., Um, just as a gateway to talking to our neighbors and our community members. But I would also say, you know, get involved. We as people, you know, just normal people, we're the only ones who are going to be able to really strive for change. And we can do that through holding our elected officials accountable and electing new ones if those ones are really bad. 
and just pushing administration and pushing so many decision makers. And you know what? You can actually have a lot of fun while doing this too. If you join a wonderful organization or a group um, to help you along the way. So, you know, there's so many advocacy groups uh, in the area focusing on environmental issues from one lens or another, or just general social issues. Um, find a group that aligns with your values, aligns with your interests, and find I am so grateful to Ashton for joining me today on this episode of the podcast. I um, selected to talk about neighborhood health because I think that the theory for why residential segregation exists is so interesting in the fact that um, residential preferences are an uh, uh, an inherent part of that, which places the added factor of identity and placemaking um, and space association of a neighborhood with, you know, generational support, with family, with uh, racial empowerment. Um, that doesn't make simply leaving a neighborhood because there is harmful environmental or social features um, necessarily easy. This added layer of identity as it relates to one's place um, sort of ties back into the larger theme of this podcast as a whole being called Placemaking St. Louis because I've had the opportunity to really explore how place in particular um, shapes someone's identity. And I think that when there are resource deprivation, when there are discriminatory practices, when there is inequitable funding, um, it's an added pressure and an added attack on this identity to create um, unhabitable, unsafe, and unhealthy living conditions. So um, it's incredibly important that healthcare providers, students, advocates um, are all aware of these issues and all aim to get involved in order to ensure that our city um, and our place can be as safe and as healthy as possible. Thank you for tuning in.